Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, live across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and live around the uh, state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Hello, good morning to you. It's uh, Tuesday. I almost said Monday, but it's Tuesday. I got to say that uh, I, um, I, like the, I like the three-day weekend. Maybe we should make it official. Three day weekend, every week. That's uh, that's what we should do. That's how uh, that's how we should roll around here. Good morning and welcome to the program. <clears throat> we have got a uh, we got a lot of stuff to uh, to talk about today. And of course, Tuesday being the day that it is means uh, we're going to get down into the weeds. Um, and it's uh, it's it's all ready to go. Today is the weekly. Top three. Um, we've got uh, we've got a lot of stuff to go over, and uh, Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets is going to be coming in. I know it. I I know the the I know the thing on this. I my screen said Monday on uh, <laughs> on the startup of the show this morning for the folks on the internet, and I apologize. It's one of those things, you know. Um. So we're ready to go and dive into it today. The weekly top three with Brad Keithley gets, uh, we're going to pick that up here in just a moment. And we're going to start off uh, with uh, <clears throat> some big topics, including a uh, including a discussion on how more spending in the state of Alaska seems to be irresistible. I mean, like it just, you can't, there, you could see it in every line of their posture and their face they just they can't wait to spend more money it's just it's i mean every word <clears throat> what's that what's that uh, police song every move you make every word you say every i mean every value break it's all about spending that's what it's all about uh not to put sting on the spot but that's exactly what it feels like everything is all about the spending uh, so that's going to be the first part. And then secondly, how this new call for bipartisanship, which we're going to go on here in uh, just a second about, is code word for unlimited funds. And then finally, what does the governor's supplemental budget tell us about where we're going this year? Well, I'll give you a hint. Not in the right direction. That's what I'm trying to say. Not in the right direction. That's part of the whole problem here. So we're gonna get into uh, we're gonna get into those things and more. But first, I, uh, I, I there's I have no words for some of these things. I know sometimes 
when you talk a lot and look, I talk a lot, right? I mean, I spend 10 hours a week plus on the on the uh, radio here, uh, on the internet, I'm I'm speaking, I'm talking. Sometimes it's off the cuff, and sometimes you just you know you don't formulate the best argument, right? Sometimes you don't formulate the best argument. Sometimes you go, that analogy doesn't quite work, but you know, kind of thing. But sometimes, sometimes you step in it in such a way that you're like. What just happened? What sometimes you talk about things or you say something that just makes you go or makes others go, what? I mean, just what? So uh, the House Judiciary Committee <laughs> Committee was meeting yesterday afternoon and there was a uh, presentation by the Alaska Children's Trust. And it was talking about adverse childhood experiences in the state. Adverse, and they were specifically talking about child abuse and how, you know, what the, the detrimental effects of child abuse, which should seem pretty self evident, right, about the whole thing. And then uh, when it was all said and done, uh, during this presentation, there were some questions, and Re- Representative David Eastman, um, asked a question or posed a question, and I kind of know what I think he was trying to do here. I know he was trying to wrap it around to some pro-life message, but this, this was, oh, this was hard. This was dumb. This was dumb and hard. And it was the weirdest thing, probably one of the weirdest questions that I've ever heard posed in a legislative uh, committee um, I'm, I'm just going to play it for you so that you can hear that this is, this is David Eastman asking a question of the person testifying, uh, from the Alaska Children's Trust. And, um, I, I guess I will just let it speak for itself. Follow up. And, um, how would you respond to the argument that I've heard on occasion where, um, you know, in the case where child abuse is fatal, it, obviously it's not good for the child, but it's actually a benefit to society because there aren't needed for government services and whatnot over the whole course of that child's life. Through the chair, can you say that again? Did you say a benefit for society? Um, talking dollars. Now you've got yes. a, a $1.5 million price tag here for uh, victims of fatal child abuse. Um, it, it gets argued periodically that it's actually um, a cost savings because that child is not going to need any of those government services that uh, they might otherwise, um, you know, be entitled to receive and, and need based on you know growing up in this type of environment. Through the chair, uh, representative, I guess that would be the idea. If I can use a really bad analogy, when you hit somebody, you always back up because uh, it's cheaper to insurance. I don't. I, I, I mean, I have no words, first of all. Uh, he says, you know, the argument that's been made, who is making that argument that it's a benefit to the state that these kids <clears throat> are, ab- that he's talking about abuse, right? Kids killed by abuse. And wh- how would you, I mean, how would you even, what? I mean, I, <laughs> what? I mean, first of all, 
who is making who is making the who's making those arguments? I would like to have a discussion with them. Who is making those arguments that that is a benefit? I mean, you could even see the testifier was like, I'm sorry, could you say that again? Did you say benefit to the state? Did you, in terms of dollars and cents, I I just think maybe that you, uh, no. I just, I don't even know what you were, I mean, I, I could see maybe he was trying to wrap it around to some idea of, a pro I don't even know how he was going to get there from there um but I, I just you know when I heard that when I heard that I was just like what the what a friend of mine sent me that link uh yesterday he had been listening to the to the committee meeting and he's like he he was like what he backed it up and went out at a gavel gavel to listen to it again and it was like that he's like dude Oh, um, wow. Just sometimes, sometimes it's better just to not say anything at all, right? Just to not say anything at all because, oof. Um, a couple other, uh, big stories that are out there today from over the weekend, um, Part and I'm sure I know Brad's going to get into part of this, but there was a uh, a bunch of presentations, and this was part part of what you just heard was I think kind of part of this push. The Alaska child care crisis, according to the ADN, is more acute than ever. This is what the legislators heard, and there's a whole bunch of stories here about child care has been a problem in the state for years and ever since COVID. They've lost over 10% of uh, the child care providers in the state, and uh, and now there's waiting lists in place for uh, child care centers and all this kind of stuff. And basically, it it's going to fold into this whole idea that, again, we need to look to the government to help all of these things because we just can't do it on our own. Um, and there's uh, anecdotal stories from different organizations, Alieska Pipeline Service Company, uh, the University of Alaska and others talking about how we just can't. Oh, man. And now Zach Fields is involved. Um, they're hearing a revived bill from Zach Fields, which attempts to address some of the uh, child care sector challenges. It would establish a fund that could be used to stabilize the child care industry. It would not currently be capitalized, but it's on the table. He wants, as a union organizer, he wants to allow child care workers to collectively bargain, so you'd have unionized child care workers, which, of course, would drive the cost up for, uh, you know, and marginalize a whole new slice of people who could barely afford that. Um, and uh, there's also, uh, that was a similar bill uh, that passed the House last year but stalled in the Senate uh, that were in there. Dan Sadler declined to comment on Fields' bill, but he quest- he has questioned in committee who would pay to support that sector? I mean, who who would pay? My question is, high-quality, affordable ch- child care, is it a unicorn? Something to strive for but never achieved? Or is there some place where it's being achieved? Basically, who's paying for what? Um, Governor Mike Dunleavy, of course, has issued a strong interest in child care. Um, and that's according to his office. In his recent annual address, he spoke about making Alaska more responsive to the needs of families, which is kind of an amorphous 
coverall phrase that could be used for many things. I love that. They use one phrase that could be used interchangeably on all these, you know, well, <clears throat> you know, that means that he wants more child care. Alaska, making Alaska more responsive to a family needs. Or it could be that he wants to make sure that the SNAP program works. Or it could be that he wants to make sure that the Office of OCS works. Or it could be that, I mean, you could take that one phrase and apply it to so many issues. I just, I just love it. Um, anyway, you could see that this is going to be the new MacGuffin here in the legislature. Child care is going to be the new, is going to be the next one. So we've got BSA, we've got defined benefits. Now we've got child care. Does it get, does it get any better from here? I don't know. I don't know. But after that comment period from representative Eastman, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's got to be Monday somewhere. That's all I'm saying. All right, we got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show continues. Brad Keithley up next. We'll return with more right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Hi, how are you? Good morning. Oh, good morning. Um, yeah, I just... Yeah, what the hell? I thought I thought Eastman was pro-life. I mean, yeah, no. I mean, I know maybe in his mind he was trying to wrap it back around to that. I have no idea how he would have done that. I can't make those convoluted. Uh, yeah, Kevin McCabe says, yeah, no one is making those. Absolutely. As we said, you know, that's one of those favorite, you know, little tricks in rhetoric, you know, where you're like, you know, as many people have said or as some have argued – a lot of times you're like, you're the only one arguing that. I have never heard such, you know, I have never, ever heard something like that. I'm just like, what did you just say? What did a benefit to? Oh, God. Oh, man. Oh, man. Um. All right. <clears throat> Let's see. Um. I didn't see any problem with Eastman's statement, says Chris. Oh, Chris. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I guess we've just got two very different viewpoints on this because uh, while from a statistical standpoint, you're right, there's obviously a lesser burden on the state when a child dies and is no longer there. That's, I don't think that's the way to make that argument in that regard. Tell me the benefits of that. The benefits of my god man is there something wrong with you um i mean i just okay uh i don't know brad brad's holding he's holding his head he's holding his head i don't know i don't know what that means exactly but uh brad keithley is our guest this morning hello sir how uh how are you doing michael <clears throat> well frog in my throat michael i'm doing great today how about you you know, uh, no complaints, my friend. No, uh, no complaints. Um, I don't know if you want to comment on that. That that that. I mean, just like, what, give me the benefits of this. Uh, give me the pros and cons of children. There's, dying. 
there, there's nowhere to go on that. That that's a that's an example of if you talk long enough, you're gonna talk yourself off a cliff. Someplace. I, you know, it happens. And, and, it happens sometimes. We, you know, like you said, I talk a lot. Sometimes you make a bad analogy, but that's just one that I don't think I ever would have steered into. I mean, just you know, to begin with, that just seems problematic to say the least. Yeah, there's. I'm, I'm not going to try to defend it. <laughs> no, I'm not, not, not. I don't know. Is there is much of a defense on that? I don't. I, I know. I'm. I know. I'm the counterpoint. But yeah, yeah. There's a limit. <laughs> there is a limit to how much, how far you can go. Uh, so how are things going, Brad? You ready to uh, dive into this? How was your? Uh, how was your? Did you have a long weekend too? I mean, you're retired, so I don't know. Is that necessarily? <laughs> it's always a long weekend, you bastard. I don't know, or, but. Or, or always a short weekend. I mean, I, I worked on points for the show. I worked on oh, the landmine go. landmine column. I worked on my you know charts for the week. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Well, there you go. Um, I got to tell you, I had a three-day weekend, and I'm ready to make them mandatory. That's all I'm saying. I'm ready to make them absolutely <laughs> four-day work week for me from now on. That's because uh, that's there, it's nice. There's some new study out in the UK. I was reading on the Financial Times this morning. I think it was the Financial Times. About uh, about they're having evidence that a four day work work week results in more productivity and and more uh, more uh, consciousness at, at, at the at the workplace and better quality of life and all. That. So, hey, there you go. Just, you know, take it to your producer, Michael. <laughs> take it to your producer. Wait, I got a mirror in the other room. Let me go do that. Hey, buddy, you'll be more productive if you do this. Uh, all right, Brad. Well, we're ready to dive into the weekly top three. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be more good news. I'm just saying uh, it seems like we're seeing a theme here. And I mean, I even see a theme in your top three points, which is unstoppable, irresistible, uh, unlimited amounts of funding must be broken loose for all the plans that people have today. That just seems to be the that seems to be the theme of what we're dealing with today. And, uh, I mean, did I sum it up nicely? Is that kind yeah, of, yeah. yeah, that's it. Show's over. Show's over. That's <laughs> it. We're done. Bells that we hit the ding. We're all good. All right. Hold the line, Brad. going to be right back to you. The Michael Duke show, common sense, liberty-based free thinking radio, like share, follow. Let's do it. The Michael Duke show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> Pinch of intel. Sorry, that is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. All right, welcome back to the program. Uh, we're ready to go. Uh, it is the weekly top three, and that means that Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budget comes on. Comes on, and uh, it's Monday, Tuesday. I just, I'm trying to get the words to come out of my mouth, and they just that you know we just said. Um, and uh, we're going to come in and talk about the big three items today, uh, Brad. <laughs> just Brad's just like you're you're hot mess, dude. You're a hot mess. Uh, but we're ready to get into it, and it all seems to revolve around the idea that, um, I mean, all the weekly top three items basically is that the push for spending is irresistible, almost like me, irresistible, and uh, and that's where we're at, Brad. Let's start off there because. Yeah. I mean, it's like every time you turn around, it's some new topic that has something that it's going to cost somebody something. Uh, let's uh, let's start off there. Well, you did a great uh, segue uh, leading up to uh, this segment, Michael, when you were talking about uh, the push for childcare. 
it's just, it, it, there's always going to be something. This week, I mean, when we started the session, it was K through 12 spending, increase the BSA. Uh, it's It's been increased university funding. It's been increased defined benefits, expand defined, focus defined benefits on one group, then expand it to everybody else. Um, it's been uh, a, a series of things this last, this week's, or this past week's seems to be the childcare crisis. Um, and uh, what they're talking about is, as, as you well put it in the lead in, what they're talking about is we're coming off the COVID, the federal funding for childcare, and now they're being exposed to having to go back to the old model, which is actually, you know, earn it uh, by, by through fees from families who are using the childcare. And that's not proving to be very successful in, in allowing the economics to work to attract enough people to do it. So they're back in there in front of the legislature uh, this week talking about uh, the need for additional funding, uh, government funding, state funding to keep child care going. Uh, the quote in the story that you just referred to, thread a child care and early education advocacy organization helped administer those grants. Stephanie Berglund, CEO of the nonprofit, said the sector needs 30 million from the state for the next fiscal year to make up for the shortfall. And here's here's the, the the deal, Michael. We're going to continue to hear these. It's going to be one after another, after another, after another, through this session, through next session, through future sessions, because we know we we don't have any red lines anymore. And when we started this process in the 20 teens, uh, we started using savings. We started drawing down savings, and and there wasn't a red line that that would help us break. Uh, spending or help us break the deficits, bring spending down in line with with uh, traditional revenues because uh, we had savings. We could consume savings. We could always plug the hole of savings. So yes, we know we got a fiscal problem. Yes, we're going to have to address it someday. But this year we don't have to do it because we've got we've got these additional we've got these additional funds we can draw from savings. We 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 drew them down. We drew the we we wiped out the SBR first, and then we started drawing down the CBR through the, the 20 teens and we get to 2016, 2017, and then we break into the PFD and say, well, you know, we can start diverting a portion of the PFD. We don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. We're going to have to fix this problem someday, but we can, we can break into the PFD and start using the PFD to, uh, to fund these programs. And the PFD is what a billion, eight billion, six billion, eight a year. Um, and, and it's sort of it's now being treated as the as the unlimited source of funds. We have one red line, and that is the draw that set up in, in a few years ago in the statute that controls the percent of market value. It's a statutory red line, but it's still a red line that the legislature is observing, which is the draw from the, the annual draw from the from the permanent fund to, to for the for the POMV, the percent of market value draw. Um, but even that red line is a statutory red line, and at some point we're going to see pressure. We're going to see pressure against that. We already saw it when the governor tried to overdraw uh, in his budget uh, a couple of years ago. There's just there 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 aren't any red lines, and without a red line, everybody's going to come up with an idea of of you know we need to spend on this, we need to spend on that. It's for the children. It's for uh, uh, K through twelve. It's for the police. It's for the safety officers. It's for it. You know, we're just going to go on endlessly of, of who all these, who all needs help uh, from the government. And as long as we're drawing from the PFD, as long as we're taking it from middle and lower income Alaska families, 
there's no there's not going to be a red line on that. We we need a red line. Some people think it, to stop this, there's going to be need to be a red line. Some people think that a spending cap would do it, but a spending cap really doesn't do it. If you look at revenues, traditional revenues, traditional revenues are going down. And all the spending cap is going to do is sort of trap, as we've talked about on a previous show, sort of track PFD cuts in as the filler. And, and as traditional revenues continue going down, we're going to have ever-increasing PFD cuts uh, to fill in that to fill in that gap between traditional revenues um, and the spending cap. That's really not going to serve as a red line. It's going to it's going to maybe at the margin mitigate the rate of growth, but but everybody's tying the, all the proposals tie the um, tie the spending cap to some factor that's growing as traditional revenues are declining. Some factor that's growing, um, and so and so you know there's it's going to maybe slow the rate of growth, but it's not going to slow uh, the growth, and it's not going to slow at all. It's not going to slow PFD cuts. The the one red line that that I've talked about and and some others have talked about uh, is making the top twenty percent, making the wealthiest Alaska families contribute to the cost of government as well. When you when you look elsewhere, um, you see that that operates to some degree to some degree as a break on spending, um, and it it helps at least increase the number of people who are pushing back uh, on spending. But if we don't have that, if, 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 if we continue to have a system that, that continues to take the, take the funding entirely out of the pockets of middle and lower income families through PFD cuts, if we don't have some system that spreads that burden more broadly uh, and engages all Alaska families in pushing back on the spending, not just middle and lower income Alaska families, uh, then we're just going to continue to have this. And, and regardless of whether we have a spending cap or not, uh, we're going to, we're going to continue to, to increase spending, uh, on, on these sorts of, these sorts of programs. There's, you, you, there's, you, there, there's just not a good way to stop it. You've said though, that we need to have it. You know, you just, you kind of just shredded the, the, the idea of a spending cap, but at the same time, when I made the argument that, well, if we, if we get more taxes, they'll just spend more. Then you've said, well, the spending cap is necessary for that. So, I mean, it, it's an integral part. I mean, it needs to be there, right? Or it needs to be, it needs to be there, but it needs to be in conjunction with needs to be in conjunction with engaging the top 20%. If you have a spending cap without engaging the top 20%, all that's going to happen is they're going to increase the, the amount of PFD cuts. And again, if you look at the trajectories, traditional revenues are falling. Spending increases under every spending cap there is. It increases at a slower rate than maybe it has historically, but it increases under every spending cap that's out there. And so what's the give between the two? Falling, rev falling traditional revenues, increasing spending. What's the give between the two? Increasing, increasing PFD cuts. So you need... You need a, you need to engage other people. You need to have other people responsible for some of those revenues in order to act as a break uh, on this on the spending as well. Is this is this an argument? <clears throat> is this an argument then for back towards again the fiscal policy working group where they said oh, you sure. couldn't take just one aspect. You couldn't take just a spending cut, or you couldn't just take a tax, or you couldn't just take a, a spending cap, or you couldn't. You know, it had to all be done in in total, it, holistically, is that what you're saying? 
Yeah, yeah, that that would do it. I mean, that would, as long as you engage the top 20%, as long as you engage the donor class, the people who hire the lobbyists, as long as you engage them in pushing back on spending, then uh, uh, in, 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 as part of the as part of the overall solution, then you're going to have something that, that that applies realistic breaks. But but listen, listen. I mean, you said it yourself. Listen to who was testifying in support of this additional thirty million dollars in spending. Alieska, Alieska Pipeline. Who's Alieska Pipeline? It's the oil companies. That the oil companies are pushing for additional spending. Right. They're not. They're not trying to constrain spending. They're not trying to stop spending. They're saying, oh well. We need we need this additional spending, and if you listen closely, you're going to hear them saying, "Oh yeah, we need university spending. We need K through 12." Them or their or their or their people, they're advocates of of this additional spending. Why? Because they know that the additional spending is not coming from them. Right. They don't have to be a break on it. It's coming from it's coming from well, the PFD. And, and they don't want to talk about the they don't want to talk about the fiscal policy working group plan because again, it's got another three or four hundred million dollars in taxes. Uh, from the oil companies, which you and I have agreed is, I mean, there's definitely money there on the table. That yep. should be part of the discussion. They don't want to talk about that at all because they don't want, I mean, they're getting a free ride as far as that goes. They're getting three $400 million out the door a year that should be coming to Alaska, and they're okay with that. We've screwed up the incentives. I mean, we're, we're not, I mean, economics is all about incentives, right? We're not, the incentives that we've created are for additional spending because you know, it's good. It's good for, you know, it's good for Alieska to have got federal government uh, uh, subsidized childcare in Valdez so they don't have to worry about their employees. That, that's, a, that's a piece of what they would otherwise worry about for their employees. That's a piece that's being provided by government. They don't have to worry about it anymore. Uh, it's good for, you know, employers to have the K through 12 spending. The incentive is to have K through 12 spending go up to produce slightly more educated, maybe slightly more educated kids because that's good for the workforce. It's good for the, it's good for state employees to have additional spending on, you know, uh, uh, state, essentially state employees for childcare, state employees for uh, 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 providing various services, state employees for K through 12, state employees for, or state funded employees for K through 12, state funded employees for the university. It's good for, it's good for state employees to have, to have that spending go up. All of the incentives that we've created are, are to increase spending. We have not created incentives for people to push back on spending. The only incentives that are out there are on middle and lower income Alaska families. There aren't any, there aren't any incentives for the top 20% to push back on spending. There aren't any incentives for the oil companies to push back on, uh, on spending. So we've just got, we've got the incentives screwed up. We've got the incentives pointing in a direction for increased spending. I mean, Alieska's, that that's that's the if you want a poster child for how screwed up this thing has become, Alieska pushing for increased government spending is it. Uh, we've got the incentives screwed up where they're all in favor of of, of increasing spending because nobody ha nobody in the top twenty percent, nobody in the donor class, nobody in the oil companies have to pay for it. It it's all shoved off on middle and lower income Alaska families, and so it's just free lunch. I mean. Yeah, give me some more of, of that. Give me some more of that. I don't have to pay for it. Give me some more of that over there. Somebody send the check over to, you know, middle and lower income Alaska families. Right. Until, until we create incentives, incentives, economic incentives for people to push back, people who, who otherwise would be paying taxes to fund these things, for people to push back on the spending until we create incentives for that, we're just going to continue to go down this road. And it's going to be, 
you know, K through 12 one week, defined right. benefits the next week, uh, child care this week, something else. Next well, week. and you could see the hand of special interest in all this. Donna in the chat room says bigger pensions plus bigger BSAs plus institutional child care. You could see the, the the ghostly hand of the NEA in there at all at all levels of that. And that's just one of the big special interests that the, that's in there. But this year, that's one of the major ones, special interests putting putting this stuff in there. Um, plus, plus Alieska. I mean, plus, yeah. seriously, no, seriously, poster poster child for how screwed up this system has gotten. Alieska pushing for increased government spending. Yeah, well, exen because they want to avoid the elephant in the room, which is, hey, there's three or four hundred million dollars sitting on the table here that we may be on the hook for. Don't look at that, but look at this spending over here. All right, let's move on to uh, let's move on to number two, Brad. Um, the key to the Alaska model of bipartisanship bipartisanship seems to be a code word for unlimited funds. Give me a, give me a one minute tease here. So I've spent a lot of time over the years dealing on federal government issues and, and dealing with, with federal budgets and, and bipartisanship, at least in the circles that I run in on those issues has sort of become a, a, a joke. Uh, it's a code word for uh, increased spending. Uh, and, and, and it seems that that sort of running joke, that sort of running inside joke is now coming to Alaska. And I'll explain why uh, after the break. All right, Brad Keithley, our guests, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We are getting ready to kick things off with him here for the next two of the weekly top three. If you want to join us, you can do so out on Facebook where we uh, hang out during the commercial breaks. We've got a bunch of folks in the chat room talking and chatting and yelling about the issues that brad's bringing up we'll continue with that here in just a minute don't go anywhere you're home for common sense liberty-based free thinking radio listen to by more staffers in juno than any other show because their bosses told them to and after what they just heard oh man they're going to be best. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Oh, <laughs> uh, all the new stuff. It's fun. Um, Brad, I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, this has to be a holistic approach to everything. I mean, it has to be all the different pieces and parts, uh, you know, whether it is the uh, cuts. Yes. I mean, it has to be some cuts. Uh, I would agree. I would like to see a lot of cuts, but unfortunately we just don't have the chutzpah to make that happen here. Uh, you know, it has to be more oil taxation, a more equitable oil taxing structure. I don't think it's the $1 billion plus that some people talk about, but you and I have agreed that there's at least three or $400 million left on the table. Um, and, uh, you know, again, if it's a sales tax, that what was talked about in the uh, fiscal policy working group, a flat tax, um, a spending cap. I mean, there's just a whole lot of things. But if we just do one of those things in isolation, it doesn't fix the problem. And in fact, in a lot of ways, exacerbates the problem. Yep, exactly right, Michael. I mean, it, it, it the fiscal policy working group had it right. The governor in his FY21 10-year uh, plan had it right. They were both uh, uh, all of the above solutions, uh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, so that, as the governor put it in the FY21 10-year uh, plan, so that no one group takes the entire burden. Uh, the burden spread out, the incentives are realigned, the incentives work in the right direction. Uh, yeah, that, that's what it takes 
to, to, to bring this back under control. Um, but but it's, it's, it's around the incentives. It's around creating red lines that, that people will push back on when you get near them. Um, and, and if we don't create these red lines, if we don't get the incentives uh, structured right, we're just going to continue to keep, keep going down this road. I mean, a spending cap, a spending cap sort of work on, on its own. You know, people think, well, that'll work. That'll just stop spending at a certain line. We won't have to worry about it beyond that. Well, there's a couple of things. There's an ex there are exclusions to the spending cap. For example, the capital budget in all of the spending caps I've read, the capital budget's an exclusion. Where are we going to get funding for the capital budget? Well, if we if we don't have uh, if we don't have other all, all revenues, it's going to be additional PFD cuts on above and beyond what it's taking to to fill in the gap uh, within the within the spending cap. It takes incentivizing all Alaska families to push back uh, on spending, including the oil companies to push back on spending. If they we're, we're seeing what happens if we don't have that, the top 20% are saying, yeah, or the, or the state or the NEA or whoever is saying, yeah, more spending, more spending. We don't have to pay for it, more spending, more spending. Uh, they're going to the cafeteria and you know somebody else is buying for them. They're going to the bar, somebody else is buying the drinks. More, 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 more. It, 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 until we have until we have the incentives aligned with the objectives, I mean, well, maybe they are. I mean, maybe the objective is just more and more and more government spending, and, and we certainly have the incentives aligned with that. But if we want to control spending, if we want to have you know have money go into the private sector as well as go to the state for necessary for necessary services, then we need to align the incentives to incentives to accomplish that, and we just we don't have them now. And, and as a consequence, we don't have red lines. And as a consequence, we get headlines like, oh, my gosh, we need child care. We need to support child care now. now. Maybe we do. But but we but but everybody needs to contribute it. Dan, Dan Sadler asked the right question, but in the wrong way. The right question is who pays? And he didn't he didn't he didn't say which Alaska families pay for this. He just says who pays. And the response was, well, everybody should pay. Well, Everybody should pay equitably. That's the that's the key to it. Not just everybody should pay. I mean, those who those who argue in favor of PFD cuts say, well, everybody pays a little bit, but it but but it's not equitable. It is shoving the burden to middle and lower income Alaska families. So it's it's we've got to get well, the incentives in place. And here's my question: When did it become the government's responsibility for you to take care of your children? That's I mean, that's the base. That's the base question for me. I know that things are getting more ex, you know, expensive and all these other. But I've argued a lot. I mean, you know, at what point does it become equitable for both parents to have to work to put the kids in child care just to have it, you know, to go to the next tax bracket and to have all that money consumed by all these other things? At what point do you just go, well, that doesn't make any sense for both of us to work. Maybe one of us should stay home uh, because, again, pushing us into the next tax bracket and everything else, plus all the expenses, plus, I mean, in childcare is insane. I, I had no idea up until a few years ago, you're talking about $700 a month per child for some of these cases. And I'm just like, who can afford to even go to work at that point? I mean, when did it become the government's, just because everybody says, well, both parents have got to work, that's it, period. Well, wait, why? If it's cheaper to stay at home, we can live on less, we actually get to keep more of our money, I mean, that's the question that's not being asked. Why is it the government's responsibility? It became the government's responsibility when there was money to do when there was money to do it, and there was and and people weren't having to pay for it 
themselves when it was free money to do it. Um, and, and, and well, you know, I don't want to pay for it. So let's get the government to pay for it. I mean, that's Alieska. I don't want to pay for it. I don't want to have to set up childcare for my employees down in Valdez. Let's get the government to do it. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's when it became government's responsibility when there was money to do it and, and people didn't want to pay for it themselves. People didn't have to pay for it themselves. Brad Keithley, our guest, the Michael Duke show, common sense radio. Here we go. All right, continuing now with Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, the weekly top three. We're on to number two, how the word bipartisanship seems to be code for more government spending. Brad. Well, as I said before the break, I've, I've spent a lot of time dealing with federal uh, budget issues as part of a couple of groups up there. And uh, one of the one of the things that's become sort of a running joke over the years is when we talk about Congress being bipartisan. Congress becomes very bipartisan when when it when you come up on budget issues, and we'll see this as we as we play through the cycle uh, on the uh, on on increasing the the debt limit uh, in this in, as we approach the fall. Uh, Congress becomes very bipartisan when they figure out they can get they can deal with an issue by just increasing spending, spending a little bit on what everybody wants, spend a little bit more on defense, spend a little bit more on non-defense. Um, the Democrats are happy with the non-defense. The Republicans are happy with the defense spending. It's bipartisan. They all vote for it because the but because the bill keeps going up because they're they're not making the hard choices. They're just spending their way into bipartisanship, and that's you know when 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 Mary Peltola came home and 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 gave her address to the legislature and praised the Alaska model of bipartisanship. That's what's going on here. I mean we're. The, the Senate majority formed around, let's spend more for K through 12. Let's spend more for defined benefit plans. Let's spend more for the university. And now it's probably, let's spend more for childcare. I mean, that's that's where the bipartisanship is coming from. They're both they're both agreeing that to spend more. They don't necessarily agree on what to spend more on, but they agree that they want to spend more and they'll let the other side spend more in order to get what they want to spend more on. And it just sort of, or you know, or in the case of some in the Senate majority, don't want to tax the oil companies or tax somebody else. It, it, they'll agree. They'll agree for more spending as long as they don't have to pay for it. It's just it's this bipartisanship that's being built on on additional spending, and that is the same thing that's gone on in Washington. The same thing that's got it in, got us into the fiscal mess in Washington is the same thing that that now we're touting as the Alaska model, and basically it's just spend a lot. You don't find you don't find bipartisanship in other states because you've got pushback because you've got the incentives aligned and you've got people pushing back on additional spending and saying no 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 I'm not going to agree to you know to spend more for you so I can spend more for me I want to stop spend I want to hold spending down right that that's that's called well, that's that's a non bipartisan situation well one of the reasons why you don't find that in other states as well is because when there is an election and the election shows that one side or the other has the most can has the most uh uh candidates or elected officials 
they have they immediately become the majority. There is no we're going to horse trade around this until we figure it out, and then we can find the perfect mash of whoever, which of course leads to bigger, badder budgets down the road because now you're holding people hostage on budget votes and all this other kind of stuff. It it's 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 guaranteed to create more spending rather than finding any kind of will for savings. Well, and but and and you know maybe maybe we're arguing about which comes first, the horse or the cart, but. But but the 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 key to the bipartisanship at the federal government level and the key to the bipartisanship that I'm seeing at the at the Alaska level is is sort of unlimited spending. I'll spend I'll vote to spend on your things if you vote to spend on my things, or in the case of parts of the uh, the Senate majority, votes vote not to tax uh, uh, the things that that I hold important. Make somebody else pay for your spending. Right. That's that's the key to the bipartisanship. The supermajority Senate bipartisanship it's all built around. We're going to spend on K through 12. We're going to spend on defined benefits. We're going to spend on the university and we're not going to tax anybody other than middle and lower income Alaska families. We're not going to tax anybody to pay for it. It's built on, on a fiscal policy of I'll scratch your fiscal back. You scratch my fiscal back and we'll call it bipartisan. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, you know, and, and I think again, that leads right back to the original problem that I just talked about. Is it more people because of this forced bipartisanship, we're seeing that increase no matter what, not that the Republicans in the Alaska house over the last 15 years have really shown any kind of fiscal restraint, but when you marry them up with, uh, with with more progressives who are in favor of bigger, badder government for everything, it just becomes the perfect storm. And that's what we're facing now, which is why, I mean, we're you know honestly not talking a lot about the cuts because Brad and I have talked about cuts for the last seven years, uh, but it has become blatantly apparent that there is not enough political will in this legislature or in the elected officials in the state to control the spending. They They just, they have no control at all. There's zillions of ideas about how to cut. There's zillions of ideas about how to be more efficient. But without the political will to pursue those, we're not going to accomplish them. And you're not going to have the political will to pursue those if you don't have the incentives set up correctly. If you, if you don't have the incentives for the donors behind the legislators, for the top 20%, the, the leaders of the Chamber of Commerce and others set up to push back, to push back on spending. They did. There, in, in the early 20 teens, there was a push to limit spending. Didn't work, but there was a push to limit spending because at that time, the PFD was considered the third rail. And there was a genuine concern that if that if we got to, you know, if we ran through savings and we didn't have anything left, that there would be taxes. But as we got closer to that point and they saw that they were going to, and, and especially with Walker, that you could break through that third rail and you could go ahead and, and dip into the PFD kitty. As we got closer to that point, the pressure for for pushing back on spending decreased. And now we've seen a flip. Now it's, again, Aliesk is the poster child. Now we've seen a flip where people are pushing for for additional spending, not worrying about the consequences of it because they know that now that we've broken into the PFD kitty, they can keep going through that as long as as it's there. Right. So bipartisanship, code word for more spending. Of course, Peltola held us up as a model for all the states. Oh, look at Alaska. (laughs) We're the poster child. We should do all this. Uh, Which, of course, means what? We should all spend, uh, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for every man, woman, and child in the state. It's completely crazy. But let's move on to number three. What the governor's supplemental budget is telling us. And I have been warning about supplemental budgets for the last 
15 years, you know, because we always, it's always this big fight down to the end of the budget and look, we constrained it and we did the, and then eight months later, there's a supplemental budget that adds hundreds of millions of dollars to the previous year's budget that nobody talks about. It's like a just, it's a rubber stamp. They're like, oh, we need this. So, okay, we did it. So much for restraining government spending, right? Well, yeah, no kidding. I mean, and last year it wasn't, nobody claimed that we fought, you know, we fought and and, and held spending down to every penny. Remember last year was a blowout. It was the, the FY23 budget is a blowout, all sorts of capital spending, all sorts of, you know, one-offs for increased operating spending. Uh, a few additional programs. There was no constraint. I mean, they didn't spend all the PFD, but they spent some of the PFD even even last year. And now we get to this year, and they need more. It's not. It's not. It's not. Oh my gosh, revenues are down. We've got to rejigger ourselves. I mean, states like Wyoming that have two year budgets have 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 interim have have, have assessments of their budgets, and they adjust them up or down depending upon where the revenues have gone in the in the initial initial projection. In Alaska, we don't pay attention to revenues. I mean, we, we'll just go tap, you know, the PFD for more. We'll go tap middle and lower income Alaska families for more. So even though revenues have gone down, even though the outlook is much grimmer than it was when they did the blowout budget last year, Dunleavy's coming in and asking for even more money on top right. of the money that that he put that he put in the original budget. There's there's nothing. I mean, what he what he will claim. Is 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 as being a fiscal conservative is I could have increased it more, but I but I held it down to another hundred million dollars in the supplemental budget. Well, gosh, Governor, the 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 landscape has changed. Revenues have changed. The dynamics have changed. You look at the futures market. Oil is going is 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 going down. It's not coming up, and and you're increasing the budget further. Uh, the only place to go to get that increase. I mean, I know you talk about carbon management fees out there in the future, but they ain't here now. And the only place is to go tap savings even more than we did before. That's your alternative. Well, we know the legislature is not going to do that. So we know it's in, it, that it's being taken out of increased PFD cuts. It's, I mean, the governor, the governor has, has, you and I have talked about round heels before, before, right? That, that he'll just sort of rock back whenever, whenever he's faced, uh, he's confronted with, with some, with some position. Well, the governor's showing his round heels. The, the dynamics have changed. The market have changed. Revenues have changed it, completely from FY23. And yet we're going to have a supplemental budget that instead of adjusting expectations, instead of adjusting spending to match revenue, we're going to increase spending. It's just, it, it, it is, it, it shows, I mean, to continue the theme of the, my theme of the day, it shows how screwed up the incentives have become. Right. It's the, the incentives aren't to get spending back under control when you have a change in revenues, a change in dynamics. The incentives are to increase spending nonetheless. So what the governor's, governor's supplemental budget shows us is even though we had the largest budget in state history, we still need more, which is indicative of what we're going to see this entire session. Right. Ninety seconds here. Yeah, absolutely right, Michael. I, I, even though we had the blowout budget of FY23, we need more on top of that. I mean, it's just. It, it is it, it they couldn't think of anything more to spend on last year or else they would have included it in the FY23 budget. But yet we get to the FY23 supplemental. Um, yeah, we can think of additional things to right. spend on. Yeah. No, remember, that was the uh, quote from Natasha at one point during the uh, during the session. We've got so much money we don't know what to do with. Fast forward 12 months. Oh, my God. 
crisis, the world is burning. This is the problem. There is no long-term fiscal, there is no long-term fiscal plan in the state of Alaska. There hasn't been a long-term fiscal plan in the state of Alaska for years. And this is what we're facing. Brad, uh, final thoughts here, 60 seconds. Michael, it's, it, 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 it's, a, it, it's depressing to see what we're seeing. It's depressing to have people talk about bipartisanship being a solution as opposed to recognizing that it's a problem. It's, 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 we're in a very depressing situation. And, and until we get, as I say, the, the incentives realigned for people to push back on spending, we're gonna continue down this cycle. Incentives for savings. Maybe that should be a whole discussion. Uh, you know, what are the incentives for savings and how can we point them out? It would be uh, definitely interesting to talk about. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate you coming in. And Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. All right, folks, out of time. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right, um, Brad. Incentives for savings. I mean, what could we be doing? Uh, give me a give me a snapshot. Let's. I mean, I think we should talk about that because you're right, and I think that's the right way to phrase it. Is what are the incentives for actually saving money in the state? What are we not doing that we could be doing, in your mind, to try and incentivize that? Well, it's the same thing, Michael. It's, it, it, I mean, we can phrase it a different way, but it's the same thing. All Alaska families have to have the incentive to push back on spending. They all have to feel the consequences of, of in their pocketbooks of additional of additional spending before they will push back on additional spending. Otherwise, if they don't feel the consequences, the, the incentives are for spending. I mean, just like we're seeing with Alieska, the incentives are for spending. Get somebody else. I know we've got a child care problem in, in Valdez. I know it's affecting my employees, but let's get somebody else to pay for it so I don't have to pay for it. Right. Um, it it, 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 the incentives that we have right now are for additional spending because people don't feel personal con people don't feel personal consequences out of additional spending and feel in fact they feel the opposite they feel additional benefits. Alieska will feel the additional benefit of the state funding child care in Valdez as opposed to Alieska having to fund their own child care. That it, it, it the, the the incentives are are screwed up. The incentives for savings is making everybody feel some of the pain. If you have additional spending, the oil companies get Alaska to push back on spending the, the top 20%, get them to push back on spending. Tell them if there's additional spending, if there's, if there's additional create, create programs that if there's additional spending, they will have to pay part of it right now. We don't have that. And so nobody's, nobody's looking for savings. No, it's a continuing. Yeah, it's a continual disconnect between the public and the private sector. I mean, Rob Myers has talked specifically about that when they wanted to talk about making the permanent fund $100 billion uh, in size so they could just spin off money at their will to do it. That's a disconnect. But we're also disconnected because we don't feel the personal pain of that. I mean, as I said for years, we're paying more taxes in this state than almost any other state in the nation. We just don't see them. Because it's a stealth tax, all that money's taking it, the, it taken right off the right off the hose bip. We never see it downstream, and so we don't understand that. You know, Michael, I did a I did a column Friday for for the landmine, which I calculated, sort of following up on the discussion we had last week, calculating what the impact would be of the Dan Ortiz proposed increase, the hundred the twelve hundred dollar increase in the BSA that BSA that Dan Ortiz proposed, looking at PFD cuts as taxes, which they are. Um, the the marginal tax rate 
that results from adding in the additional spending that Ortiz has proposed, the marginal tax rate on the top 25% or on the bottom 25% is something like 16%. That's higher. That marginal tax rate is higher than the highest marginal tax rate in the United States, in any other state. Right. And that marginal tax rate is something like 13% or 12% on, on incomes of above one family incomes of above 1.2 million in California. Otherwise, in the United States, the highest individual or the highest uh, uh, personal tax rate is 13%. Alaska has now exceeded that on the bottom 25% if you layer in. Uh, Dan Ortiz's proposed uh, additional spending for for BSA, but nobody talks and nobody views it that way because why? The top twenty percent, the marginal increase in, you know, on the top twenty percent is less than a half a percent. They don't right. care, right? Uh, for uh, about that additional spending, there's no incentive for them to sit up and say, "Wait a second, we've got how many administrators? We've got how many school districts? We've got how many collective bargaining agreements? We've got how many employees out there?" There's no incentive for them to sit up and say and, and push back on that because they don't have to pay for it. Uh, this has been the problem for years, like I said. I mean, I, and you know, in a perfect world, all that money would flow through Alaskans, and when they got that check for fifteen thousand dollars, they you know per person, they'd all be happy. And then when they got the tax bill for fourteen thousand for every person, they'd lose their minds, and that's part of the problem. Again, just a just a stealth. It's all secret. It's all behind the scenes. And we're told to sit down and shut up because don't you like not paying taxes? Wait a minute. We are. We just don't see them. That's the problem. Yeah. I mean, what yeah. could, what could we do with that money uh, if we had it? What would the economy do with that money if we had it? And then you taxed it back. I mean, first, all that money would flow into the economy, which would make it turn multiple times. And secondly, there'd be a revolution because people would say, I'm not sending you a check for $14,000 for every person in my household. I didn't get $14,000 worth of services for every person in my household. That's insane. Yeah, exactly right. I, the, as, as I as I keep saying, the incentives are the incentives are all screwed up. Until we get Alaskans, all Alaska families, particularly including the donor class and the, and those who control the lobbyists, until we get all Alaska families pushing back on spending and saying, let's come up with ideas for how we reduce spending. Let's come up for, with ideas on how we do things more efficiently. Let's come up with ideas on until we get all Alaskans involved in that it's not going to go anyplace. I mean, you and I can come up with idea after idea. After, we have over the over the scope of the last decade. We come up with idea after idea after idea about how to reduce spending. But until there's the incentive, until there's the will to apply those, to look at them and apply those in practice, um, it's just, we're just wasting time. We're spending our wheels. The real core, the real key issue is creating incentives for people to push back. Once they do, the ideas will flow and the implementation will occur. But if they don't have the incentive to do it, if there's not the, if there's not the will to do it, if they don't feel the pain and, and, have, and have a stake in pushing back, then it won't occur. I mean, the, well, the, the forces of spending will just keep going on and on. As the old, excuse me, as the old adage goes, money, it's one hell of a drug. That's what they got going on. We're all being doped up right now. Uh, for the case. Brad, thanks so much for coming on board. Appreciate it. Good to talk with you. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Folks, we got more coming up. Hour two dead ahead. We're going to jump into this with, uh, we're going to jump into this with just me and you. I'm going to have, a, I have a few things to say.
I have a few things to say. That's what I'm trying to tell you. We'll be back with more of the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Here we go. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com, where you'll find links to the audio-only live stream. Uh, You'll find links to the podcast, to the social media sites, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, where we simulcast the radio show every morning. And, of course... Where we uh, where we have uh, uh, all the things that are uh, you know have to do with the show. That's what it's all about. And of course, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator, uh, FM translator across the state of Alaska. Thank you for joining us. It is the Tuesday edition of the Michael Duke Show. Feels like Monday, but no, it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. Short week. For me, anyway, luckily, I'm feeling pretty good about it. I just came off of a three-day weekend, and as I said before, I think <clears throat> that we should make three-day weekends a thing. I think we should just be a four-day work week. That's just, that's that's my position, and I'm sticking to it. I can work 10, 12 hours a day for four days and then uh, be ready to, uh, and, and then be ready to work uh, you know, be ready to be off for three days. It's a, uh, it's a, a golden opportunity. Uh, we just finished up with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. And, uh, you know, there's a couple of things uh, that I I kind of want to I kind of want to uh, deal with on this. Now, first and foremost, uh, I agree with Brad. The problem is, of course, is that there is no um, there is no incentive to cut um there's no incentive to cut in in the state government right now. There really is nothing that just jumps right out at us and, uh, you know, that it tells the legislature that we don't want that we don't want to cut it. It, it unfortunately is. It, it's easy. It's easy to spend and everything that they do, everything that they I remember. And I've told this story before, but I remember talking with a legislature who went down there. Uh, to uh, to Juno as a stalwart. He was a budget hawk. He was going to do all these things. And uh, a mere four years later or so, he comes back and I'm having a conversation with him. And I'm like, how can you continue to push for all this spending? 
And his answer is, well, you know, the I see all these people come through my door every day and they've all got a need and a story. I feel like it's my Christian ju- duty to take care of them. But I'm like, Jack, that's your Christian. It's with our money. You're taking care of them with our money. This is not your money. If you feel like you want to give money to them, that's one thing. But to take our money collectively and try and make it all right and do just it makes no sense at all. And again, we come back to this idea of uh, child care, um, you know, being one of the big stories that just came out that now the new push is for state subsidized, state run, unionized, state, you know, benefited child care. Like somehow that is the that is the only way that we're going to move forward as a society, right? I mean, that's the narrative. The narrative, <clears throat> the narrative is this that somehow, you know, the only way society can move forward is with the direct benevolent intervention of government. And now we're talking about child care. Well, of course we need the government to pay for child care because we as parents couldn't possibly be responsible for that. We just don't have the we need the government to take care of that for us because we just couldn't I mean forget about the fact that in the past 245 years we've done okay in this country taking care of our own children, right? But now we need the government to come in and take care of that for us because government only with the direct benevolent intervention of government can we make any of these things happen. And that's just the next step is to let government come in and take care of the health care because people can't, well, they can't figure it out. Why? Well, because they bought into the other narrative or lie, which is that everybody needs two incomes to survive. Everybody has to have both mom and dad working to make it all work and worthwhile. I did a whole show on this one day. This is about <clears throat> 15 years ago. I did a whole show on this one day where I actually broke down the numbers and showed that for the most part, the average Alaskan with the average income, they would be better off if only one of them was working. And I don't care which one works. It could be the mom or the dad. It, it doesn't matter to me. But when you look at it, you look at the actual numbers it, for an average income as to what they're bringing in, and you realize it's not only doable, it's probably, for the most part, more efficient, less stressful, and better off for your family overall. If you've got two incomes, you probably, with the average Alaskan income, you're probably pushing up into the next tax bracket, which means you're going to pay another 7, 8, 9% on top of that. Plus, you've got you know, extra outfits and extra meetings and extra expenses for the vehicles and extra expenses for clothing and eating out and haircuts and all the things that go around with being, uh, you know, part of a part of the professional set out there or working a job. And then you're like, well, how do I how do I take care of the how do I get my seven hundred dollars a month for each one of my children? Because that's what it costs. I mean, back then it was seven hundred bucks a month to be able to get health care. I mean, when does it when did it stop being the parents and the and the adults responsibility to take care of those things? My wife and I did the math on this many, many years ago, and we decided, you know what? We'll live on one income. Was it easy? No. Was it was it always fun? No, absolutely not. But was it the right thing to do? 
For us, it was. I think it's. I think it's the right thing to do for many people. They just need to analyze it. I mean, look. If you've got two or three kids, now I had five kids, right? So I mean, I know some of you are like, "Oh my gosh, what are you doing?" I had five kids, but even if you just had three kids, and it's you know, and they're all within that age range where they require childcare, and you're talking about <clears throat> even after school care and some of this other stuff, you're talking about two thousand bucks a month just to pay for the child care, even if you get it at a good deal and you're only paying 500 bucks a kid or something, it's 1500 bucks a month for you to pay for the child care. At some point, you have to start asking questions like, oh, wait a second, that's fifteen, <clears throat> that's $18,000 a year, $19,000 a year, plus I got to do this, plus it's the extra wear and tear on the car, plus the thing now we've pushed up into another tax bracket so we're making over a hundred thousand bucks a year between the two of us and that's an extra nine percent there so we lost another nine grand there and wait i'm only bringing in 45 or fifty thousand dollars a year when it's all said and done it's all been consumed by the circumstances of both of us having to work what maybe we should maybe we should consider not Maybe one of us should stay home and do that. Would that make the kids happier? Probably not at first because they're used to running amok and running wild. But in the long run, is it better for them? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, why did it become the norm that we had to have both of us working at any time to be successful in life? Otherwise, we just, oh, it just does it's be horrible, horrible. That we should uh, that we should think that we could we both need to work. Period. Socially unacceptable for for one of you not to work, whether it's mom or dad. I don't care which one. I don't care. You know, you you figure out the dynamics in your own relationship, and you figure out who's going to make more money and do whatever. I don't care. For me, it was for my family. It was me working. And sometimes that meant that I was working two or three jobs. Sometimes that meant I was working longer hours. Sometimes that meant I was doing more things. But you know what? We were taking care of our own. When did it become the government's responsibility to take care of our children in that way? I mean, we're already doing it by sending them to school, you know, seven hours a day, right? It's really become almost the, you know, the 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 daycare that we're paying for because we're definitely not getting an education out of it. We're definitely not getting the achievement scores that we should be. It's become a glorified daycare. And now on the outside of that for afternoons or whatever else or young or pre, what's the new things? Early child care is the new buzzword. I mean, now it's, you know, it's just, uh, it's always the government's responsibility. It has nothing to do with us. That's got to change. I mean, why aren't we talking more about that? Oh, there's a child care crisis. Well, then maybe we need to start talking about why is there a child care crisis? Because nobody, because they're not getting paid enough, because nobody wants to deal with the problems that you're creating at home, because whatever it is. Again, to me, the biggest question should be, why do we need the child care in the first place? Does it make more sense to live on one income and do it that way. Does that mean that we won't have all the, I mean, <clears throat> how many times is somebody, and I'm going to use the husband and wife dynamic here so nobody get upset. It could be flip-flopped. It doesn't matter to me. But how many times has the wife walked home uh, out of her car at night and looked at that big river boat 
or jet boat or four-wheeler or side-by-side or motorhome that's sitting in the yard and thinking all the money that I'm making is going to pay for that for a few hours of pleasure, for maybe for both of us, maybe just for one or the other. But that's all I'm doing is I'm making that payment every month. How many marriages are damaged by stuff like that? I mean, how many of us could live with a little bit less? You know, uh, and really, I guess my argument is not necessarily that it's less. It's that it's just it it appears to be it appears to be less. But if, you know, again, between the two of you, you're making 60,000 bucks a piece. All of a sudden you start pushing up into this next realm and higher taxes and the child care and all the other things. If you were honest with yourself, wouldn't it make more sense if one of you stayed home? to take care of things there or worked from a side hustle business from home where you could do it all there instead and still take care of the kids and the daily stuff and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, which side of the fence I'm on because I, I we were a single income house, still a single income household have been for years. Um, and of course it's gotten better over the years, but those first, you know, I've been married for 30 years and in the beginning, yeah, little tough, little difficult, but wouldn't change a thing. Wouldn't change a thing. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, you're just too old-fashioned. That's what you want. You're just too old-fashioned. Um. Okay. But we're happy, healthy. Kids are happy, healthy. Everybody's doing great. We never had to put our kids in child care. You know, we made it through. It can be done. It can be done. And and again, you could see the industry that's being built out of this. I mean, now, first it was just K through 12. Uh, now it's pre-K. Now it's early childhood development. They're creating whole industries around, why would you want to send your kids away from your home when they're super young, before they're even school age ready? Why would you want to send them to be amongst, uh, amongst a bunch of people that, Why? Well, because it's, uh, you know, it's uh, because Joni's doing it down the street. Well, I don't want to keep up with the Jonies. I don't I don't care what Joni's doing. What's good for my family? I mean, you know, isn't the goal of having children to raise them up to be good, responsible adults? Are we showing them the same? Are we showing them the way? Or is this a whole new generation of people who went to school and were taught over and over again that the answer to all the solutions is government? That's why now they're coming back to say it's the government that's got to do something about this, this child care crisis. I mean, wow. Maybe that's what she's thinking when she looks at the gun safe is look at all the payments that I'm making. Uh, it could be a gun safe. It could be a riverboat. It could be a four wheeler. It could be something that she, I, I don't know what it is. One spouse or another looks at whatever it is in the driveway or the garage of the living room and goes, all my paycheck is going to pay for most of that. Maybe I'd rather spend more time at home with my kids. I mean, it's 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 insane. It is really insane. And the fact that we go to the government hat in hand to say, well, you know, we want you to pay for it because we can't possibly afford it. That is that to me is the height of uh of insanity. I guess that's that's what I'm saying. The height 
of insanity. All right, we got more coming out. Uh, Don't go anywhere. Chris Story is up next. The man from Homer is probably going to try and bring us back on track. Made a hot mess of this, haven't I? We're going to be back with more of the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay. Uh, hi, how are you? Sorry, that's a that's a personal bent that I just get, I get so frustrated with. You know, oh, I mean, how it is not the government's job to raise our children, period. It's our job. And yes, even as screwed up as we can be as parents, they are better off being raised at home by mom and grandma, you know, multi-generational families where I think we're going back to that, quite honestly, because we've discovered that in today's, we can't afford not to buy a bigger house and put grandma and grandpa in the mother-in-law's, you know, place or whatever. And, you know, I don't know. But this idea that you've both got to go out and work and slave and crack the whip and do all that kind of stuff uh, and then shuffle your kids off to a bunch of strangers for 12, 14 hours a day, it just, it's, it's insane. That's it. Uh, okay. I'm a child care provider, says Diana. We need help for the children who truly need help. Yes. I mean, those children need more focus and attention than what they're probably getting. If one of the parents was at home, they could probably give them a whole new uh, level of care. And yes, I mean, we need to have the doctors and the, and the, you know, the, the screening and the intervention and all that kind of stuff. But we're so busy these days with both mom and dad out there grinding out nine to five or nine to six or 40 or 50 hours a week. They don't have time to take care of those kids, right? That's the problem. If one of them was at home, guess what? And there's nothing preventing you from working. Like I said, you could work a side hustle at home. You could have a home-based business and do things. It, 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 I mean, that's that's how we did it, you know. Oh, man, I just I don't even know what to say. All right. Um, Chris Story, uh, the man from Homer. Hello, my friend. How are you? Good morning, Michael. I'm, I'm fantastic as I watch the sun begin to just glow over the Kenai Mountains here across the Kachemak Bay. What a gorgeous gorgeous place to wake up michael what a beautiful beautiful time it is to be alive all right and on top of the world and on top of the world on top of it um all mm-hmm. right well uh mr story uh how's uh how's everything going in your world what's uh what be the haps what what do we need to talk about here this morning <laughs> what's the what's the hot news story here what be the haps you're so cool you're so relatable to all from boomers to oh it's all those kids yeah all the kids love me all the kids love me 
Well, let's listen to that. I think you'll love today's topic, which is entitled Far Out Man. Far Out Man. Far Out. All right. I'm all yeah, I'm all about your, that. Got to get your Woodstock on. Yeah, got to get it on. What what do you uh well, how much time do I got here? I got a minute. What do you what do you think about what I just ran? I I'm hoping you were listening to my rant there about, you know, more not requiring a two uh income household to get it done and everything. What are your thoughts on that as a father of children here in Alaska and working with your wife and you guys were in business together doing all this stuff. But what's your thought on that? This mandatory two income household it must be a thing kind of thing. You mean relative to what it takes to make it? Yeah, I guess so. And of course this whole idea that somehow it's a government's responsibility to bolster childcare in the state of Alaska. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's a that's that's a big conversation, isn't it? I mean that's uh, yeah, I, I agree with you that you know working a side hustle and and having uh, home based businesses, kids learn so much. We we always and I'm sort of I'm unemployable. I don't think anybody in Alaska would hire me to do a job. Um, that's to, true. To, to actually go to work for them. That's true. I you know because I've been self employed for twenty some twenty six years. So all I know is home-based kind of alternative uh, business and, and that, that model. That's all I know. But that's what kind of what I grew up with. And so, you know, I grew up in a, in a household where my dad worked a regular job plus two or three side businesses that my mom helped him with. Anyway, but yeah, let's tackle that uh, sometime. I like it. Yeah, I want to know more about it. All right, here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share, like and share, like and follow. Subscribe, ring the bell. Let's do this thing. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which uh, makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. That's right. A pain in the you-know-what, the Michael Duke show. That's what we do here. Offering the unpopular opinions, because why not? I mean, nobody else is going to do it. Unless, of course, you get to Chris Story. I mean, he might offer some unpopular opinions, but he'll make you feel good about yourself while he does it, because that's just the kind of guy he am. Chris Story, I love HomerAlaska.com is his website. He's got a weekly radio show. He's got podcasts. He's written books. He's a potter. Potter. He is. Uh, he's also a real estate guru and more. He joins us this morning. What's up, dude? What's going on, man? What's happening? <laughs> I knew it wouldn't take you long to get into your your get your Woodstock on. I got to get good my morning, Woodstock Michael. on. Yeah. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm excellent. I'm excellent. I want to talk to you today about far out goals, and of course, I couldn't think of a better title for this talk other than. Far out, man. Far out, man. It's so far out. It's awesome. We're going to talk to Chris Story now. Spicoli. Oh. Uh, Mike all right. Spicoli. <laughs> oh, man, you're dating yourself on that one, my friends. Uh, dudes on lewd shouldn't drive. Uh, let's, uh, let's, get into, uh, let's get into far out goals. What's it all about? Well, yeah, exactly. Long range goals. And I think. They're important for a couple of reasons. And if you're watching the news or paying attention at all, be it locally, Alaska-wide, worldwide, uh, you know, coast-to-coast around the country, we have just so much uncertainty around the globe. Are we at the precipice of World War III, or was that? It, are we already in that war? Are we going to have 
what you and I grew up with, the threat of thermonuclear warfare. Are we going to have Red Dawn? Is this happening? I mean, mm. there's so much in the moment. There's so much happening right now. There's so much uncertainty in this moment that it almost could seem ludicrous to be planning beyond this year and next year. Uh, we're just trying to get eggs under control. We're trying to get enough goods and services today. We're trying to make sure we have enough oil and fuel and can afford our heating and all these other kinds of things today. What business have we to be thinking long term? And it kind of reminds me of, of some of the, not all, but some of the younger generation who are like, wait a minute. And I've heard this with my own ears from some young people I care about in their mid-20s. Uh, no, the, the world's about to end. I'm not going to bring kids into this world. Right, right. And they're, they're not, that's not new. Every generation has had a certain element of that fear. Is this the end? Is what's coming? Is it, is it cooling in the 70s? Super cooling, radical cooling? Is it going to be, I wouldn't bring kids into, you know, the, the threat of nuclear war, blah, blah, blah. But long range stretch goals are so important to help us wade through this moment and into the future and grow into the future that we're capable of. So you need to be able to stretch. That's the first fundamental, most important thing about a stretch goal or a long-range goal. And I'm talking 5, 10, 15 years from now, depending on where you're at on the ladder of life. Um, maybe you're thinking five years. Maybe you're thinking 20 years out. This is for your own personal health, wealth, and prosperity. All of those kinds of goals need to be looked at in that range. I'll give you an example. I was in Las Vegas a few years ago, and Jack Canfield, the creator of the Chicken Soup for the Souls books, um, another great books. Another great book he wrote was called The Success Principles. It doesn't get near the attention it should. It's a really great an anthology almost of just principles that, that are geared towards success and a better life. Anyway, he said to the whole audience, it was probably 2,000, maybe 2,500 people in the room, he said, everybody stand up. We all stood up. He said, okay, shake out a little bit. Okay, now stretch both your arms as high as you can into the air. We did. He said then, Stretch a little further, and you could hear laughter from one side of the other because every person stretched a little further. He goes, wait a minute. I said stretch as far as you can. Why didn't you? So, well, we don't know what we're capable of until we're pushed, until we've got that goal. So a stretch goal, a goal into the future will help you reach higher and further than you thought possible, even though the momentary circumstance seems to be quite dire and untenable for our whole world, our whole planet. Yeah. Well, I mean, I agree. I mean, there's always some crisis around the corner, right? I mean, from yeah. Cuban Missile Crisis onward, it's always been, oh, now yeah. it's this. Oh, it's duck and cover. Oh, it's the Contras. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's the other thing. There's always been some kind of crisis or something around the corner. But yet many of us have raised families and done well for ourselves and are continuing to try and strive and stretch and make the world better. You can't just kind of, to me, that argument, and people should be able to make whatever choices they want as far as their families. I'm not saying not. But to me, that argument has always fallen flat because that feels to me like, well, you've just given up. <laughs> you've just given up. And like, mm -hmm. yeah. this, is, this is the last great generation and there's going to be nothing beyond this. So there you go. Boom. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And we've got, we've got so much opportunity into the future. And yet, if you, if you allow yourself to succumb to the direness of this this news today, the moment today. And this isn't to say that we ignore it. We do need to pay attention and we need to be acting local and statewide as much as possible where you are with what you've got, contacting and communicating with. Don't let things pass through planning or your council or assembly or the state legislature unnoticed. 
don't be the person that comes out later and goes, what's this ranked choice? I don't understand. What is that? <laughs> when did we do that? Right. We need to be paying attention so as not to have foisted upon us things that are definitely anti-American, anti-Alaskan, anti-individual. We need to be paying attention to that. But think about what – just look at Amazon. It's a website, Michael. Just okay. go with me. Okay. Amazon.com has grown through every financial up and down. They continue to grow and grow. They are a, an unstoppable force that has grown through every negative thing that's gone on over the last, what, 25 years of their existence. You think back to everything that's gone on and yet they continue to just grow, 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 grow and steadily become what Jeff Bezos is, if not number one, number the second most you know, powerful, wealthiest person in the world, all through these little peaks and valleys of life. You've got to have these long-term goals to help you stretch. That's the first thing. You need to be able to stretch. Secondly, Short-term, short-term circumstances, like we were just discussing, can become totally overwhelming and stop you in your tracks if you become so focused on the direness, that this nihilistic viewpoint of the world today can stop you in your tracks. And the future will always be uncertain. And that's the beauty of the future. It's uncertain. If you knew exactly what was going to happen in five years from now, without any uncertainty, how boring a life would that be? <laughs> we have uncertainty, always will, and short-term circumstances, absent a long-range goal, short-term circumstances will stop you right where you are, and you'll, you'll stop growing just because the circumstances today can be overwhelming. Well, and let me say this from my personal – this is from my personal viewpoint. I mean, you need a long-term goal because I, the, way, what, the way I plan is that I always try to have – what is my long-term goal? I needed the long-term goal so then I could set the intermediate goals in between, right? Because I needed to know where I was going uh, and then try and break it down into bite-sized pieces to say, okay, this is the long-term goal, so what are the steps in between and what's my next step? Otherwise, if you don't have a long-term goal, it's just like, I mean, you can have these shorter-term goals, but where are they eventually lead? Either the goals are just, you're just going to lead to wherever they you know, you're going to go, you're going to follow basically wherever they go, or you need to have that long-term goal so that you could set those intermediate steps in the middle. Exactly. And the circumstances of the day are going to buffet you back and forth. You're going to be moved around by the circumstances of today. However, you're not taking your eyes off of the long-term prize. Your, your short-term goals are going to change day to day based on, um, based on the world, based on the economy of the moment. Maybe, maybe you end up saying, well, okay, I thought we'd be further along by year two, but don't forget, here's year 10. This is what we're shooting for. I, I recently heard uh, somebody that my wife follows quite closely, um, and she was talking about her business goal is to create a $100 million business. And this, this woman and her team were just struggling at, to achieve the midterm goal of $50 million. And so basically creating a, a $50 million a year business with the midterm goal, 100 the long term. Right. And they were struggling as it got closer to the end of the year. And suddenly the, the, the gal that owns the company said, wait a minute, take your eyes off 50. Look at 100. Remember, we're shooting for 100. Don't worry about the 50. Whether we get there this year or not, doesn't matter. We're shooting for 100. Well, they hit 52. So <laughs> taking your eyes off that short term in the moment can make all the difference in the world. And I guess thirdly, I would just say, is we think about long range, far out goals, legacy. Who are you, what are you going to leave behind? What, what impact, what, what fingerprint, footprint will you leave behind? Who are you going to become? Who will you affect into the future? 
uh, you see, you can create health, wealth, and prosperity in the present by being focused on the future because far out thinking is going to bring you joy today. And it's going to make these circumstances, negative or otherwise today, make these circumstances far more tolerable because you know where you're going. Freedom's on the other side. You know where you're going. Financial freedom, health, whatever it is you're seeking is just on the other end of this goal. So you can suffer through today if that's what's going on because you know and you have presence of mind what tomorrow is going to bring. So I read a quote earlier today. I can't remember who, who said it, but I thought, oh, this is ideal for, for talking to Michael. It's, um, the present is actually the end, tomorrow the means. So tomorrow isn't some you know, predetermined thing. It's tomorrow is what's going to bring the joy, but truly today is the end. Today's all you've got. And the present is, is incredibly important. But what you're thinking about doing tomorrow, who you're going to become tomorrow, is going to determine the joy you have today or limit it. So you know what I'm going to ask next. Break it down for us in the back here, uh, the, the the bad kids in the back of the room who haven't been paying attention this whole time. How do we how do we apply this? Uh, you know, we're brand new. We just we're hearing Chris story for the first time. He's talking about these lofty goals of long term plans and long term goals and all this kind of stuff. How do we break it down and how do we get to that? What does it take to get to that point from where we're at right now? I'll tell you exactly what I do. And in fact, I'm going through this right now personally myself, which is maybe why it was top of mind when I woke up this morning. And of course, when I wake up on Tuesday mornings, I'm thinking about one man, Michael Dukes. And as so you should, I was thinking about this. Yeah, that's right. I think everybody does. I think every, every man and woman across the state wakes up that way on Tuesdays. But I, I, I think in terms of the rocking chair test. So I'm going through this literally right now, personally myself with a big goal. So my goal for this year is to, to take the Backyard Millionaire to 150 radio stations coast to coast. That's my goal for this year. But the long range goal is 500 stations. So I'm really frustrated right now in this process. It's just the beginning, uh, the nascent state. Like too early to even talk about, but it's just you and me, Michael, so I trust you. It's too early right. to talk about, but it's, that's how nascent the state this is. And yet, I'm feeling that frustration in this moment. I'm like, wait a minute, stop. It's a long-term goal. It's 500 stations across the, the country. That's doable in this amount of time. Don't worry about it. You've got what it takes. I'm going through this whole process with myself, talking to my future self, talking from that future place to my present self. I applied the rocking chair test. Is You've heard this a thousand times. Sit in a rocking chair. Imagine yourself as an older person. Uh, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, depending on how old you are, and think back to this moment, what advice would you give yourself? Will you have regretted not taking a chance on you today when you're there tomorrow, however far out that is? And I apply that test to myself constantly. So if, a, if I start thinking too short term, I'll go to that rocking chair. And I, here's what's interesting. I literally do have a rocking chair in my office, <laughs> uh, just behind my studio. And I'll sit in it just before every show I do. I sit in that rocking chair and I kind of just think and meditate, get myself into a, a state of ready to do my radio show. But I also think in terms of like, oh, this is the proverbial rocking chair. It's the literal rocking chair. And I think, what would I regret tomorrow not having done today? Is there something that I should be saying today that if I don't, tomorrow or 10,000 tomorrows from now, I'll regret not having done or said. That's literally how I live my life is thinking in terms of 
will this goal stretch me? And if it starts to hurt in the meantime, I start focusing out further and further and well, thinking about that legacy. We do that with our investments too. Yeah. I think a lot of people, it's just, it's that uncomfortable position of actually sitting down. You know, it's the old axiom that more people, they spend more time planning a two week vacation than they do planning their future, right? They'll spend, they'll invest more time in planning a vacation than they will, uh, you know, this year, a two week vacation this year than they will about where they're going to be 20 years from now. It's an uncomfortable position sometimes because now you have to now you have to judge yourself. Now you have to judge where are we going? What is the goals? What is our dreams? What is our whatever? And it can be an uncomfortable position. But I guarantee you that when you do, when you sit down and look at that, it gives you some clarity. Um, and I think it's important. I think it's an important step in everybody's life and, and, you know, kind of that metamorphosis. If you want whatever you deem as success, whatever you figure it out to be, you need to sit down and take that first step, which is in some ways the hardest of self-analysis, looking at your, you know, what your arsenal has, what tools do you have in, in front of you and making that decision. And letting somebody else believe in you for a minute, letting, taking somebody else's belief in you and say, you know what, you've got this. I know you do. And allowing that to be your vision for the moment is okay too. And that's why it's so important to have a coach or somebody, a mentor, somebody that can guide you and help you shine the light forward. Go, wait a minute. Remember, yeah. remember you're looking out here and, yeah. and that leader, and you can be that for yourself and others. And that's part of the legacy of it all. I would highly recommend also, and this is going to sound, Michael, so self-serving, <laughs> but I would pick up a copy of my book, Born to Live. These are two reasons why. Number one, it's in an, an embodiment of what we just discussed. And that's right. in three chapters. It's a very short read, 45 minutes to an hour, and it's an embodiment of what we just talked about, the future, the past, and the present. And also, the reason I'm suggesting is we're getting ready to rebrand it under the Backyard Millionaire uh, label. And so this book that's currently available, it's going to be a collector's item in the message of future. <laughs> oh, there you go. Chris Story, the man from Homer, thank you, my friend. It's good to talk with you. Appreciate you being part of it today, as always. My pleasure. Thank you, Michael. All right, folks, we got more coming up. One final segment dead ahead, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. All right, in the break, uh, final thoughts. Uh, Chris Story, final thoughts. He's still with us uh, this morning on this. I mean, I... I really do think, Chris, that that is the hardest thing. The hardest part of this whole thing is having people carve out a little bit of time in our busy, busy, busy schedules, right, to look at each other over a kitchen table or a booth at a restaurant or whatever and say, where do we want to be in 10 years? Where do we want to be in 20 years? Uh, because otherwise, just the the whims of of fate will just, like you said, batter your ship back and forth, and you'll just land on any shore that looks good at that point. It is a hard thing to do. It is not a comfortable thing. It's not easy, but it's a necessary thing to do. It's it's difficult at first. It's like anything. It's difficult at first, and then after a little while, it becomes a game. And once you start to see it as a game, and you start to realize, oh we can we can play this game and and start to win and once you realize that there's some you have more skill at that game than you realize if you've never set goals and if you're listening to this going oh i set goals all the time you know i'm 10 15 20 year goals five years breaking down into one you know break it down into six months and you're so right. analytical you've got some you've got today at 10 10 
plans. And you know exactly what you're going to be doing at 10 a.m. Right. 10 minutes after 10 a.m. That's wonderful. But you don't need to be that detailed. And I think that that actually is a little off-putting to some people. You think about an off-site retreat for some corporation. Oh, just shoot me now. <laughs> We're going to come up with a mission statement. Right. And goal setting. Right. This is about vision casting. You know, casting a vision forward for yourself, for your family, for your project. What's, what's going to be left behind? Tiffany and I still... Um, at this stage of the game, we actually, it's very exciting thinking about just our investment, for example. Like, why invest in any more property? Because it's a game, we love it, and we, we actually love this concept of leaving a legacy for our kids and grandkids. And in the meantime, we just enjoy it. And it's become a game to a point where thinking 10 years from now is actually really exciting. And this whole, this whole idea of syndicating the Backyard Millionaire radio show is incredibly nerve-wracking because it's, it's a high wire act for me, but at the same time, right. It's exciting and exhilarating and kind of I'm having to coach myself through this. And luckily, my wife is a life coach, so she helps me every single day on stuff like this from that place of like, wait a minute, what are you really worried about? What if it doesn't work? So what? What if it does? Right. Good point. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. That's like five years from now. Exactly. Five years from now, if I'm at 480 stations, I won't be crying. Yeah, no, exactly. Even if you shoot for the moon and hit the side of the barn, at least you've moved out of the front yard. You know what I mean? You're right. you're you're going right. forward on it. And you, you I hope ma- I do more than hit the side of the barn, but still, I well, get your point. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, if you're if you're at 200 stations and you're like, damn, I really wanted to be at 500. You're at 200 stations, right? I mean, that's a huge, huge accomplishment, and uh, and that is uh, that's that's good stuff right there. Uh, it's hard. It's hard sometimes to to set a goal and to struggle and do those things. But if you don't set that kind of long term goal, if you don't set that kind of long term vision, then you just kind of wander aimlessly in the wilderness. You're like Moses and all those Israelites just walking around, going, "Geez, what where are we going next? We have no idea." You have to have something laid out, and it's uncomfortable, and it is yeah. uh, it's painful sometimes, and it's a little scary sometimes. Uh, and it's a little disappointing sometimes because, like you said, you don't hit the goal and you go to the mark. You you feel bad. Hashtag feels bad, man. But at the same time, just think of where you would be if you hadn't set those goals and you hadn't moved forward. Um, and you can't you can't do it alone. You got to have a, people around you and trust in yep. them. And sometimes their belief in you is enough to carry you over the finish line and to that far out place. Yeah, uh, you got to have help. You, we always have. We always have help. Even if it's in the form of the little old guy that we have coffee with uh, every couple weeks or something to kind of just check in to see where we're at, it's uh, it's the important. Like how many times have you said to me, Michael, you get high with a little help from your friends? I always, yeah, it's always more fun. It's always more fun with my friends (laughs) than it is to be by myself because then I just rock and watch the wallpaper breathe, you know, Uh, (laughs) or or whatever. Uh, Chris Story, uh, the man from Homer, good stuff. The book is the Backyard Millionaire. Also, Born to Live. He mentioned that one as well. Both available at ilovehomeralaska.com. And uh, and uh, it's it's great stuff. Uh, I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you for coming on board and uh, trying to uh, bring us back with a dose of positivity after I brought the whole world down in the first segment today. <laughs> oh, please. You're yeah. an uplift. You know it. Well, I, I mean, I would love to hear what your thoughts are on that whole, because I think we're slaves in a lot of ways. We're slaves to society. I mean, and it kind of folds into what we were talking about here. Sometimes our goals are kind of antithetical to what society says we should do. You know, everybody should be working. Every, you know, park your kids in school, park your kids in daycare, do all this kind of stuff. Just focus on your career and all this. 
And sometimes I think that that's, you know, what I'm what I'm proposing is antithetical to that, but it plays right into what you're talking about. What is the long term goal for your family? It may yeah. be different for what somebody else does. So I I'm excited on March, March 1st. I'm speaking to a homeschool group here about creating wealth in your own backyard. Uh, I, I love that concept. I like it. I like it a lot. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you coming on board. See you, Michael. We'll talk Bye-bye. to you. Uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks for coming on. Chris Story, the man from Homer. One final segment. Let's do it. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Okay, well, we got um, we got one final one final segment here this morning that we are ready to uh, we're ready to jump into, and uh, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong on this whole thing. With uh, I don't think I am wrong. I mean, I'll fight you on that. I think I am. I think I am right on fighting back against the societal pressures and norms of both spouses have to work otherwise you're just not contributing to society i would make the argument that uh we are contributing to society because we're creating the next generation of you know leaders movers shakers business people moms dads whatever i think that uh you know, uh, I I think that it is uh, important and we are doing the right thing in pushing back against that idea. But maybe, maybe I am wrong. So I guess we'll uh, open up the phone lines today and we can talk about that or anything else you want to do. We'll just do some open line discussion here uh, for anything that you may want to talk about. Feel free to give us a ring, 907 907- 433-3150-907-433-3150. Want to say thank you to our friends at Satellite West for uh, coming in and being sponsors of the program as they are every day. We want to uh, say thank you to them. SatelliteWest.com is where you go from uh, Tatlanica to Tanana, from Delta to uh, uh, Little Diomede, uh, from Menchumana to Metlakatla. Ooh, from chicken to... to- from chicken to chickaloon, from eek to eagle. Oh man, I, I'm on a roll right now. No matter where you are in the state of Alaska, you can go over there, and uh, Satellite West will get you hooked up and get you in contact and help you stay in contact. Whether that's uh, again text messaging, phone calls, emails, surfing the internet, SatelliteWest.com is where you go to make that happen. So feel free to uh, feel free to go visit them and tell them thank you for sponsoring the show. Meanwhile, phone lines are open here at 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. And I think my idea of couples sitting down and saying, this actually all kind of falls into what Chris was just talking about. Couples sitting down and saying, what are our, what is our long-term vision? What is our long-term plan here? 
and we have kids. So what are we going to do with them? You know, how, how are we going to raise them? How are we going to take care of them? How are we going to show them an example? I would much rather see my children see an example of somebody who struggled to build a business or to do something or to live on their own uh, or to have an example of, uh, you know, of uh, the prioritization of the family over the career kind of thing. Um, I think that that is uh, a greater example for my children, uh, maybe not for years, but for my children than ever before. And it has a secondary effect. The secondary effect is we become less dependent on government for all these things around us. I mean, we were just talking about it. I mean, with Brad, there is no incentives to save. There is no incentives to uh, make the state more efficient to do those things. Well, first and foremost, if we stop calling for the state to fix all the problems, that will help. Secondly, if we build something, if we build something in our lives, we build a a, a business or a, uh, you know some kind of career where it gets painful if the government comes in to try and take it from us or take parts of it from us, we get more you know we get more vocal about hey maybe we should stop spending quite so much. So it's kind of the twofer, right? It's a two-edged sword. I get both. I get it both ways. I'm getting a better family environment. My kids are being raised better. You know, we're happier, probably less stressed. And on top of it, we're showing them a way uh, to succeed and have something. And in the end, we're we're weaning out this government dependency, or at least this ideal that the government should fix all of our problems. I mean, every time I see some of these comments, see these comments from the legislators or many others who are like, oh, the government's got to get in there and fix that. Why? Why does the government, well, because people can't find child, well, I understand what you're saying, but maybe if you leave it alone, it will force the model to change. And maybe that means, again, maybe that means that more people decide that they're better off by taking care of their own kids, working from home, changing jobs, you know, working part-time instead of full-time, maybe starting a side hustle or doing something or starting a home-based business instead so they can do both, take care of their kids and run. I mean, maybe that will be, if all you ever do is bail them out with more free, quote-unquote, government money, then that's all they'll ever look to. That's all they'll ever look to. We need to stop. We need to teach people to be more dependent on themselves, including those parents who have kids when they're trying to work. I mean, makes sense to me. What do you say? 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. Somebody asked earlier in the chat room when I was on my rant about uh, the whole thing, they're like, well, what about single moms? Single moms, question mark, marriage isn't what it used to be. It's difficult. You're right. I mean, a single mom doesn't have much of a choice, I guess. Or a single dad. I guess, you know, moms are much more prevalent than dads. But, I mean, that's why they have child support and those kind of things to help you out with that. I don't have the answer for that. I really don't. Um, uh, And I can't wrap my brain around the whole concept, uh, quite honestly. My my wife and I have been married for 30-plus years. And we decided that at the very beginning that the only way we were going to get a divorce is one of us would be dead. That was kind of the whole joking I mean, it was a joke, but it wasn't really a joke. We decided to work it out no matter what. And so that's the decision we made. So, and I know there's circumstances. I'm not saying that you should, you know, I'm not castigating people who 
have been divorced or who didn't get married or whatever. I'm just saying those are decisions that you now have to live with, and we got to find a way to fix it. But, it, you know, setting aside single parents for just a moment, all these other people with mom and a dad out there working, you know, 50 hours a week each and then trying to figure out why their household is a mess and their home life is hard and all these other kinds of things. I, I'm just saying, why don't you at least just take a honest look at what I've talked about, an honest look at maybe, maybe... Both of you working is not the best idea that maybe you could get by on one. You know, do the math. Sit down with an accountant. Sit down with an accountant and figure it out and see what they say. If we only made this much, how much would we actually take home? How much would we get back in taxes instead of having to pay? How much let, you know, look at my expenses. What have they been for the year? And again, I don't care which one of you stays home. Maybe it, it might it might help, and it maybe it not be the solution for you. Maybe not. Maybe you could afford childcare, or you've got grandma there to take care of it, and that's this is all a moot point for you. But for many of these people who are struggling, I think it's a question that needs to be asked. That's just that's just me. That's just me. All right, my friend. Uh, And that's all of you, all my friends. Thank you for coming on board this morning. The Michael Duke Show. Be kind, love one another, live well. We'll see you tomorrow with State Senator Mike Schauer. Yeah, I mean, again, if you've got grandma or grandpa or aunts and uncles that can help you with that, that's great. I mean, that's why I think you're going to see a rise in the, you know, the multi-generational home thing again. I I really think that we are going back to that in a certain way. We're already seeing it. You know, 30-somethings moving back in with their parents, with their own spouses and kids and things like that. Because it's getting harder. Because the economy is changing. Because you can't make it sometimes on even sometimes two incomes. But I, I, I really think that uh, if more people analyzed their situation and looked at it, that they would come to the same conclusion that I did, that in the long run, it makes more sense to only have one of you working outside the home. Again, not to say that they couldn't do things inside the home. I mean, this whole thing of COVID, right? The telecommuting thing, that's huge. That is huge. It's a great opportunity if you can take advantage of it. Um, Yeah, society looks down on the one who cares for the children, especially, come on, especially parents who stay at home to care for kids. I, you know, my wife has experienced that for 30 years. That's just the way it is. And I think what it is, quite honestly, is jealousy. That's what it is. It's the jealousy of those parents who can stay home. All right, we got to go. Folks, thanks for being part of it today. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. <laughs> 